All right, everybody, welcome back to My Seminary Life. I'm your host, Brandon Knight, and on today's episode, I'm doing something I've never done before, and that is record with someone else in the room using my microphone. We'll see how this works. This is the fun part of being a little baby podcast still is that I can make mistakes and you all can just live with it. If you're new to the show, welcome. We like having guests. We have a guest here with us today. And on the show, I talk about the stuff I'm studying in grad school right now. I'm in a class on leadership with an assignment to sit down and to interview a number of pastors, three pastors to be precise, on the topic of leadership, specifically looking at areas like servant leadership, mentoring, vision casting, and being a change agent. And with me today is my campus pastor, Ben Hickson. Ben, welcome to the show. Well, hey, it's a joy to be here. Thanks for agreeing to do this and also agreeing to be on the podcast. It's a double ask. Before we get into the actual episode or in the actual interview, I just go ahead and clarify for us, what's a campus pastor? Well, it's uh, it's different in every church and it's probably different down to each person. Mm -hmm. And there's something beautiful about that. Mm -hmm. And uh, at Bethel Church here where we're at in Northwest Indiana, um, we define a campus pastor as the pastor who's responsible to shepherd a local congregation, one of the campuses of Bethel Church. And uh, there's there's definitely some overlapping areas of responsibility between some centralized uh, leadership at our main campus and uh, the areas of responsibility here on site. But okay. the, the big goal here is that I'm thinking about and championing these people at this place that call our Hobart Portage campus home and trying to align our ministries for uh, the best they can be to help equip them to follow Jesus well. Awesome. That was like, it, it was, it would have been believable if you were reading that off of a piece of paper. He's not, but that you rehearsed that. It well, seems. it's, it's less rehearsed and more, we're all making this up. So really mm -hmm. anything I said was going to be accurate. Right. <laughs> my, uh, my good friend, Pastor Will, he's going to be on doing one of these interviews as well. He's a parish pastor at a Lutheran church and that's it's almost like to use words that we are more familiar with on like the um non-denominational world it's kind of like being a senior pastor is yes. what i gather mm -hmm. and then there's scott he's going to be on the show to talk as well and i still don't know i even worked under him and i still can never remember what scott's actual job title is his, i know it's not just youth pastor his job uh title is the best of all of us that's oh, that's what course. we should call him the best of all of us he yes great guy. All right. So we're going to talk about leadership today. This is a fulfillment of a paper I have to write. So you ready? I guess so. I guess so. All right. You look like a guy who knows how to lead. You are a campus pastor after all. You know, I made a, a comment to you, I believe, when you first asked me if I'd be willing to do this. Mm -hmm. I thought it was interesting that you were asked to interview pastors for a uh, class on leadership since uh, pastors really are called to be servants of their people, equippers of their people, shepherds of their people, leadership, man, that's just a word we've thrown in maybe in the last hundred years or so because okay. we like it. So Because we like it. All right. Well, that works great with the first question because sure. the big word that always gets tossed around when we study leadership in a Christian environment is servant leadership, which is based off of what you just said, it might be a bit of an oxymoron, maybe? 
Well, it certainly on its face value is an oxymoron. Servants okay. are the very opposite of leaders, but in our biblical kind of uh, cultural norms, it is used so often we get used to it and it yeah. feels like it's just one distinct way to be the guy in charge. Sure. And um, and if you really like power, if you really like being in charge, uh, you're willing to maybe do it any way you need to uh, in order <laughs> to hold on to that. Right. Um, you know, Jesus gave us uh, an example. We see in the upper room, uh, the book of John, uh, the gospel okay. of John in chapter 13 shows us Jesus putting on a towel, the, the attire of a servant, mm-hmm. walking around the table, kneeling down and washing each of his disciples' feet. The disciple who loved him, John himself, the disciple who always was interrupting what he was doing, Peter, getting in trouble, the disciple who was about to betray him, mm-hmm. Judas. And and he said do, to his disciples, do you see what I've done here? Do you understand what I've done? And on face value, they did understand. He, mm-hmm. he had just done the servant's work. He had washed their feet. But he made it clear to them he was showing an example of how he was going to be redeeming and atoning for them, mm. washing away their sins, but also setting an example for how they ought to care for one mm. another, love one another, and serve one another in the mm-hmm. days to come. And that's been uh, a poignant example to us of how we ought to live our lives okay. and how we have to execute our responsibilities, especially in ministry environments, but across really any avenue, whether it's your job, okay. your workplace, and so on. Okay. So taking that in mind, then, uh, this passage in John where Jesus washes the disciples' feet as the biblical example of servant leadership, how would you then define servant leadership? Sure. Simply. Well, and, and maybe it's helpful since words are so overused sometimes, they lose yeah. their distinct meaning. Maybe it's even helpful if we don't call it servant leadership, but instead okay. call it stewardship or steward leadership. Steward leadership. Maybe okay. using a fresh term, uh, not because I'm trying to one up what Jesus said, because <laughs> I don't think I can. Sure. Uh, but just to help us understand, since we associate servant leadership maybe with a lot of things, maybe if we think of it steward leadership, I think we get to the point. And that point is anchored in a reality, I think, that we all have to be cognizant of, whether we're managing people at our retail environment or caring for our families, our children, our spouses, or or leading a church. It's the understanding and awareness that every single person we interact with is made in the image of God, is incredibly filled with worth, matters, and is loved by God. Many of them in our church environments or our families, perhaps, are uh, rescued by God, have experienced new life in the gospel, are our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so as we interact with them or as we're put in positions of leadership over them, we need to understand that we're leading someone who isn't ours, Mm -hmm. uh, that is not ours to control, is not ours to manipulate, is not ours to um, kind of enforce a performance on, but rather we're stewarding someone else's. God's creation, God's son or daughter, and we're helping them to follow the path God has prepared in advance for them to do. And so um, in order to steward them well, in order to shepherd them well, to use the uh, agrarian term, agriculture term, uh, we're, we're basically looking to help understand who is God, who are they, what is God calling them to do as they grow and mature in their faith? How has God equipped them and um, how together can we in unity 
uh, radiate God's glory to the world around us. Uh, often that looks like um, doing whatever is required of the moment, you know, whether that's um, like Jesus demonstrated, doing the, the lowest of the work to be done. Okay. Cleaning the toilets, sweeping the floors, um, caring for the sick, taking care of um, uh, a less than desirable responsibility, you know, whatever that mm -hmm. might be. Ultimately, it's elevating our understanding of who God is by caring for you as if we understand who you are to him. Wow, that was really good. I, yeah. No, I, and I like this idea of stewardship being maybe a better word to use, not just because of the oxymoron level of servant leadership, but this idea of we are, you know, especially for pastors, shepherding people in the direction that God has, God wants them to be going in towards himself, really. And we need to be good stewards of that directional process. Yeah. Yeah. I like that a lot. You know, it's, um, it's a concept I've heard and, you know, you wrestle with it on one hand, you're like, man, but Jesus said, be servants. Mm -hmm. Why can't I just stick with that word? But sometimes mm -hmm. we, we burn out a word and it's helpful it's to, to see it in another light. And uh, sometimes when we think about servant leadership, uh, we can, as broken mm -hmm. humans, sometimes we we serve with ulterior motives. We serve mm -hmm. to be served, yes. right? Yeah. I'm helping you or I'm serving you or I'm willing to stoop to this level, maybe mm -hmm. even right in our minds. And all the while we're selfishly uh, keeping ourselves at the center. And we're mm -hmm. thinking, if I serve you, you are indebted to me. You have to stay here under mm -hmm. my control or influence. Sure. And if you do anything else, uh, you've broken some sort of sacred trust. Mm -hmm. And and I think that's where stewardship helps remind me uh, they're not under my control. They're gods. And mm -hmm. I'm I'm here coming okay. alongside and under him, directing them on, on the path he has for them. And so in that sense that they don't owe anything to me. Mm -hmm. I owe everything to God just like they do. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, and we'll get back to the questions after this comment. And I think that is one of the many solutions that many pastors need to start um, embracing more as we see more and more pastors, um, their sins being exposed of mm -hmm. abuse and leadership of having this shift in mentality of, no, I'm just, this is yet another way that I'm being a good steward mm -hmm. of the gifts that God has given me. So, Again, this idea of servant leadership, stewardship leadership, um, is often presented as the biblical way to lead. This is why even bother with any other ideas. Is this the most biblical way to lead, or is this just a way that pastors can lead a congregation? Sure. I, I might answer that question uh, in two ways. First, okay. It's to have fun with the term biblical, right? Okay. Because there are lots of biblical ways to lead. And by that, I mean, in the Bible, there are many <laughs> different types of leadership. Okay. Uh, and many of those types of leadership are shown to be what they are. Awful, horrible, very bad ways <laughs> sure. to lead. Okay. So when you see Pharaoh being iron-hearted, mm. close-fisted, a taskmaster to the Egyptians, or sorry, to the, to the Hebrew nation, mm. he, he, that's biblical leadership. Sure. It's in the Bible. Sure. It's not Christ honoring leadership. 
Okay. Uh, and so certainly that is not the way, even though it's described, it's not prescribed okay. for us to follow. Uh, the way the Pharisees, Sadducees, religious leaders in Jesus' day, okay. they led Jesus, attacked their style of leadership, described in the Bible, but not mm -hmm. prescribed, okay. as lording over the people that they were following, that were following them and, and were entrusted to them as leaders, as adding heavy weights to them to follow that they couldn't stand up under mm -hmm. in order to make themselves look good. So if as leaders, we're putting a difficult task on the people that we're asked to lead mm -hmm. in a way that makes us look good and makes them feel awful. It could be that we're acting not like Jesus called us to and instead okay. serving our own purposes. So okay. in that sense, there are many varieties of leadership shown in the Bible. Okay. I think wise leadership that honors Christ pays attention to a couple things. One, um, what's logical and okay. what helps to... Uh, lift a heavy load of caring for many people. Um, we see some themes uh, echoed through scripture. Um, uh, one of those themes being delegation of, of authority okay. and responsibility. We see that when Jethro encourages Moses to sure. appoint many judges. We see that in the kind of uh, enforcement of levels of leadership all throughout the Jewish nation's history. Mm -hmm. We see that in um the apostles appointing deacons to care for the needs of sure. the widows in the church because there's more work than could be done by any single person or a group of people. So delegation of leadership, handing off responsibility to faithful men and trusting it to, for them to do, that's biblical leadership. Okay. But at its heart, we see Jesus modeling for us and saying, go and do likewise, serve others as I've served you, Put their needs ahead of your self-interest. At the end of the day, this is all flowing from a heart that loves God above all okay. and sees that God loves you behind every single action. Um, when you're leading that way, it's going to look like the way Jesus served and led. Sure. And that's going to look like a servant leadership model. Okay. So in a way, it's almost by default because ultimately, like in many circumstances we are to look first and foremost at the example of jesus and his example is a servant like leadership correct absolutely i get, you. I get that okay so there's two i guess you could say three big areas of leadership that again gets brought up a lot in the in this study of leadership one of them is mentoring okay mentorship so what role should a leader play in the life of someone they are mentoring? Well, uh, let me think for a second. Sure. When I think of mentor, I think of someone older, more mature, someone more experienced, come alongside of somebody else. And if you think of mentorship, uh, sometimes we're thinking about passing along wisdom, knowledge, ideas. Um, there's, there's a sense in which we mentor when we teach in a formal kind of education style or even lecture style. Okay. You're passing along ideas, but that's not very personal. Uh, and there's a sense in which we mentor when we're coaching someone, giving them advice and, you know, uh, coming alongside them one-on-one, -on -one, even in that sense and helping them think through what's next. Uh, mentorship has that real idea though, of helping somebody find their own answers and follow God you're not handing them a prescribed list of things to okay. do. 
you're asking questions of them that redirect them to who God is and how he's equipped them to be and helping them discover on their own what God is calling them to do. And so um, I'm forgetting the original question sure. here. I think you, I think uh, you've kind of hit on it though, is what, what role should a leader play yeah. in a mentor or in someone that they are mentoring? mentoring. And so you make it sound like probably the biggest thing that I took from this was that you're not here to just shove the answer down someone else's throat. You are in a coaching role. You're in a guidance position, passing along wisdom, but not necessarily in a, okay, here's the book. Yeah. I would say in that sense, to borrow some computer terms, we're not hitting control C here. Okay. We're not copying ourselves and pasting it onto someone else. Um, that That is uh, uh, reproducing yourself in someone else. That they're not you. They mm -hmm. need to be who God's called them to be. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I think a great mentor, and as you lead people one-on-one, -on -one, the best way to do that is to help to help them see for themselves mm -hmm. to ask the questions they need to ask about who am I, who is God, what does his word say, okay. giving them those skill sets so they can, you know, adapt and learn in new environments and apply who God's called them to be in those environments. Okay. I like that. And if this conversation on mentorship interests any of you, uh, last year, yes, last year, in the late fall, early winter, I was in a class on discipleship methods, and it was all about really mentoring discipleship. Sure. we Those are pretty interchangeable words. So if you want to learn more about this and get a per, other perspectives on discipleship, mentorship, go back in the archives, check those episodes out a lot. Very, it was one of the, one of two classes that are my, so far my favorite in all everything that I've studied so far. Such a core part of what God's called church leaders to do. Yeah, it is. See that model in Paul to Timothy and his parents sure. to him and grandmother to him and uh, church members, Apollo and, uh, sorry, from to Apollo, from Aquila and Priscilla. Mm -hmm. you, know, you see that mentorship happening all over the place. Yes. Yes, we do. Even Jesus to the disciples. Chiefly, perhaps Chiefly. even. Chiefly. Uh, so when you are in a relationship where you're mentoring or discipling someone, what are two or three things that you are hoping to pass wisdom along and press upon that person? Hmm. Some of the simple answers seem like the best answers, right? Uh, more course. than anything else, you want the people that you're uh, discipling and mentoring to catch the, the vastness of the glory of God, okay. um, to understand that to see that wash over everything in every area of their life mm -hmm. where they have him at the center of all they do and center of all they want and the center of all their joy. When you've got that rock firmly, sure. you know, uh, established, cemented, everything else can kind of flow accurately out of that. So that's one thing you hope for them to see. And um, I guess the other thing you, you want to create and you need to work to create mm -hmm. is an environment of grace. Okay. You don't want it to be an environment of like, you know, Mistakes aren't welcome here. Uh, like if okay. you get this wrong, don't bother coming back. Right? Sure. That's not uh, that's not a, an accurate representation representation of what life is going to be like. Mm -hmm. You want to help people learn how to bounce back from mistakes and repent and find forgiveness and receive forgiveness. And so I think uh, the glory of God at the center of all they do and who they are and uh, 
a gospel culture in that relationship, a grace, um, gracious culture in the environment of that relationship. Those are two things I would hope that they would pick up. Okay. You know, the simple answers are oftentimes the best ones, you know? And Absolutely. if the next two guys say the same thing, then you look, you look like a genius. <laughs> well, I need to text some people. Who are you interviewing? Uh... Well, Scott's one of them. So you could just go next door and say, hey, these are the answers. <laughs> Let me tell you. <laughs> Let me tell you. But that would be a terrible mentor of me, wouldn't it? That would, um, yeah. I can't just give him the answers. Do, yeah, you Give him a framework it. in order to find the answers. Right. Okay. Yeah. Gives you a week to think about. It. <laughs> uh, another one of the big areas, arguably, if uh, as I'm doing this interview this week, I'm for the class reading the book Courageous Leadership by Bill Hybels, and he would argue that this would be the biggest thing when it comes to leadership is casting vision. Hmm. Casting vision. How did you arrive at the vision for the ministry you are serving in? Hmm. Did you? Sure. <laughs> well, you know, as a campus pastor, I have the beauty and privilege of entering into a pre-established organization and folding into okay. an existing vision. So the vision at Bethel Church is to make disciples of Jesus Christ whose lives are all about him. And really, in a pastoral role, even if I was a lead pastor at a church or a parish uh, mm -hmm. pastor at a church, man, I, we have a, a established vision. I'm believing God's word that we have to fold ourselves into. Sure. Um, but in the specific sense of helping a, a specific people understand the specific steps that they have mm -hmm. to take in order to uh, reflect the glory of God, there, there's a sense in which we get to carve and cast a vision. And whether we get to create it or mm -hmm. whether it's just our job to cast it, mm -hmm. it's essential uh, that we are creating, what, what is it? that uh, Andy Stanley always says, courageous commitment to an unreasonable, it's courage okay. around an unreasonable commitment to what could be. Okay. That's that's how he, I believe, defines like okay. what, what leadership and vision oriented leadership is. You know, uh, any group of people, any community need to know what could be, what okay. God is in the business of doing. And knowing that, knowing the work he is doing and how he's going to use us gives us the clarity we need and the confidence we need as individuals to sacrifice and to show up and to schedule ourselves and to serve in order to help make that happen. Okay. None of us do a good job building something that we don't know what we're building. Mm. When you get Lego sets, the reason you are excited to follow each instruction piece by piece it's because you'd seen that picture in the front of that box and you knew what was going to happen. Mm -hmm. And so as leaders, it's our job to help people keep remembering the front of that box. This is what God is doing. He's wrapping ourselves up in his glory. He's creating mature disciples who uh, enjoy him forever. Mm -hmm. And all way towards that is this next step, this next thing. Okay. And um, helping people connect what will be to what is now. That's the that's the dream. As someone who's a big Lego enthusiast, I will forever remember that example. <laughs> but that is that is actually a really good example. I wish I wish someone would, you know, capitalize on that and write a whole book on it. <laughs> now you know what and, to do. Right. And I will let you know I do have an Andy Stanley book to read. I think that's next week's reading assignment. So okay. if I come across that quote, I will you'll let know, you know. You'll remember how, right. cl how close I was. Right. So 
you have not just served here. Actually, you're fairly new to our campus. I am. You you did a whole teaching series or preaching series this summer that talked about the four like values of Bethel Church, reiterating some of that vision. So hopefully you don't have an example already here. But in your previous ministry experience or just in general as you have served in other ministries even before being called to a pastorate, have you been in a situation where there was not a clear-cut vision and hmm. what happened? There's always a hole in the vision bucket. It's okay. always leaking. Vision will always leak. I've heard that from, uh, I, I don't know how many leaders okay. over the years. Vision always leaks. And so even where vision is clear and communicated, mm -hmm. the next day it isn't quite as clear. And okay. it isn't quite as communicated. And so, um, yeah, I have absolutely been in and served in environments and created environments where the vision wasn't clear and okay. where, where the purpose wasn't, uh, you know, the driving beat of what we did. And you know that's true when um, minor things derail a major thing. Okay. When people squabble instead of, you know, roaring with joy. And okay. when... When um, we all start kind of getting into tribalism moments okay. or siloed environments where we only care about what we're doing next, uh, when we're tripping over our own two feet, right? When you get a sense that what we're doing here is clunky and disjointed and working against each other and people aren't happy, usually those are all symptoms that the, re the real problem here is we don't all know what we're ultimately trying to achieve because um, the more we understand that the, the more we're able to sacrifice our own uh, preferences the more we're, we're willing to tolerate uh, somebody else's frustrating kind of personality mm -hmm. whatever it, the symptom might be uh, the more we're able to get past those towards the greater thing all right so on this idea of vision is leaking, that there's a hole in the bucket of vision. I've, I've heard it before. I think it was on Moody Radio. And it was one of their like financial financial shows. Sure. But the, the thing that they were talking about made a lot of sense just in general. And they weren't talking about vision, but they were talking about setting goals. Hmm. And they were saying that rather than writing goals in the rock, you need to write goals in the sand. Because that gives you the opportunity to, you don't know. You don't know how life is going to change. You don't know what's right around the corner. At Just to use the lowest hanging fruit as an example, January of 2020, we had no idea. We had no idea what was coming. And so you write your goals in the sand so that way you can wipe it out and adjust accordingly. And sometimes with vision, as the bucket is leaking, you need to be aware of the fact that you need to communicate that frequently. And also, sometimes you have to patch up the bucket mm -hmm. in different ways. So absolutely, vision shifts, visions yeah. can change. Last thing we're going to talk about here is being a change agent, hmm. which sounds scary, does sounds very fancy. How have you been an agent of change in the area that you lead? 
Mm, well, it's early on for me here. Sure. Uh, rolling in, I'm five months into this new new position, new role for me at a new church in a new state. And so really it's been key for me in some ways that I'm not an agent of change okay. yet. Because the, one of the first key steps of being an agent of change is you have to have trust. And trust isn't earned uh, in, in a short spurt of time. It's earned over a long haul. And, uh, you know, people, people will ultimately become uh, a version of who you are, right? Okay. They'll, they'll follow who you are, not what you say. Okay. And, and so I, it's important that anyone who's trying to be a change agent first is patient and establishes trust, really takes the time to do the homework to know and care for the people that they want to see grow and change mm -hmm. uh, before they expect them to do anything. Okay. Uh, so that's, that's what I'm working on mm -hmm. first here. And uh, that, that takes patience. Uh, sure. And it also takes humility to realize that, you know, there's, there's things that maybe you want to change that are just preference for you that you ought to lead the same. Right. Okay. So uh, humility, uh, be, be patient, establish trust, uh, do it with humility, but then to establish change, uh, really the, the most important thing is that you do have a clear vision of why and what you're leading towards. And then um, help people mourn what they're leaving behind. I, I would add that in as the other thing. So often leadership can make a mistake of trying to laugh off what has been as if it hadn't mattered. Perhaps it was out of date now. Perhaps it no longer felt like it fit. So it was easy to make fun of it. Mm -hmm. um, but what it did for many people for a long time, though, was have significance. Mm -hmm. And I think it's worthwhile that we honor and um, and mourn even a season mm -hmm. that we're changing from. I think of maybe the lowest hanging fruit here is like uh, changing uh, music styles in a ministry mm -hmm. setting. And okay. if you're moving from that um, piano and organ to a contemporary sure. uh, worship environment, um, you know, it, it would be a, a bad approach to mock and make fun of one style as if it was antiquated and out of date, even if it felt like it was. Okay. Because that style has been the soundtrack to people's uh, expressions of worship to God in ways that are going to stay with them forever. Sure. We can honor what we leave behind. Okay. There's no problem with that. And so, you know, how people mourn what they're, what they're changing from mm -hmm. in order to create the space to appreciate and look forward to what's next. Okay. That's maybe the one, one other piece I'll add to that, um, add to that puzzle. Okay. I've been in that situation before doing my pulpit supply ministry. I was preaching at a Christian reform church. I was the usual guy that they would call in to preach when the pastor went on vacation or sabbatical. And he asked me, he had found a new pastor and he asked me to be the first guy to preach after he left. And I've been in situations where they don't have a pastor or they're going through a search process. I had never been the first guy. Hmm. And I sat back and reflect on it. And I, I read a, short adaption of uh, a grief observed by C.S. Lewis. I couldn't, I always get that one in the problem of pain hmm. flipped. I was a sh like an abridged version of a grief observed. And I went in, it wasn't so much a sermon as it was more of like 
a lecture or a talk on why it is appropriate to grieve and process this because yes. he had been the pastor there for about 10 years or so, um, made a lot of good changes in the church, was very well liked and received by many people in the congregation. Um, and so we just had a moment to talk about what is grief, what is lament, why it's okay to grieve him leaving the church. And I did have, I was talking to a, a pastor about my idea for this. And he was like, well, you know, some people are probably going to be happy that he did leave. And yeah, that's, that's a reality. That's a fair statement. But for the majority, like this was a moment that the church needed to come together to process and grieve something that was that had left them. So yes, I definitely agree that in being a change agent, you just can't treat it like it's old news. It didn't matter. Like there are there are definitely times where you need to address the elephant in, in the room and process it. Last question for us today. What are some of the roadblocks to being an agent of change? Uh, I would say often the chief roadblock is you know, people's uh, love and appreciation and familiarity with what is. Okay. You know, that we all love what we know. We're familiar with it. It's comfortable. It's that pair of jeans that fits just right. Sure. It's that routine you do every morning, right? Like a change from that often it can be painful. So that okay. a robot to change is, uh, maybe I should say it this way, uh, more love for what is comfortable to you than love for what is best for you right okay and, okay. and not only best for you but best perhaps for others some of the changes we need to make in life are because something new has arrived it's a, it's a baby sure. that is rocking all of the routines in your sure. life right yeah, yeah. it's a it's a the loss of a loved one that is creating some pain and causing you to need to grow into some new responsibilities and, and leadership and, and opportunities. It's the chance to reach more people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right. Mm -hmm. And when we love what's comfortable for us more than what's best for us or best for others, that's a huge obstacle to change. Mm -hmm. And uh, the, the key there becomes helping people to fall more in love with what is best for them and best for others than what's comfortable to them. Sure. And uh, that's, I would say that's a huge obstacle. Uh, sometimes an obstacle to change is success. Hmm. Okay. Because m much of why we do what we do is because it works. It, mm. it has, okay. we, we use this brand because it cleans our teeth and tastes good, mm -hmm. right? We use this route to work because it seems to have the most least traffic sure. or we, uh, use this style or method or practice because it has brought people in in the past or it has mm. helped people through difficult seasons. You know, we do things not illogically. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> usually we do stuff because it works. And so mm -hmm. success can be a roadblock. Often, okay. maybe one of the biggest roadblocks to change sure. because we're afraid of losing that success. And it, it takes recognizing uh, change in culture, change in time, change in uh, era, change in style, change in taste that has created perhaps more success through a new approach or a new route or a new method. And um, we don't want to let yesterday's success limit tomorrow's success. 
Okay. All right. You don't want to let tomorrow's yesterday's success. Okay. Yeah, give me that one more time. We don't want to let. Maybe I'll use a different word to make it more memorable. We don't want to let yesterday's success limit tomorrow's opportunity. Okay. All right. I like that. Cool. Well, that's all that I have here for us today. So thank you for, again, sitting in and being a part of this. And for you listeners checking out this episode, thanks for tuning in. As always, you can go down into the the description of this episode to find links to all of the important stuff, the website, Facebook and Instagram, the way to reach out and contact the show. If you have any questions for me to pass along to Ben, because he's a smart guy. Um, again, I appreciate you being here. Whenever I have a guest on the show, I always like to end things off with a fun, lighthearted okay. conversation. Um, previously, you served in the Detroit area. Yes, correct? Metro Detroit area, Michigan. Okay. Can you explain to me Detroit style pizza? Because I don't, I Absolutely. don't understand Detroit style pizza. <laughs> I won't explain it to you. One cannot explain glory. Okay. One can only appreciate it. Okay. And, and enjoy it while it's there. Um, no, so we maybe famously all understand that New York style pizza is very thin. You fold it. You fold it in order to hold it. Big old slices, triangles always, right? right. Uh, and sometimes I feel like minimally topped, right? Like yeah. cheese, maybe pepperoni seems to be where they right. stop. Uh, Chicago style is like a pie. Mm -hmm. It's thick. It's cheesy. It's saucy. Got the sauce on top. Sauces on top. Everything's just layered in there. Um, and it, I mean, it's, you know, two inches mm -hmm. pie shaped pieces. Um, Detroit style pizza is famously rectangular okay. so that your pieces are squares. They're mm -hmm. cut into squares. It's um, it's a happy medium in thickness between the two, New York and Chicago. Okay. So it's not as thin as New York. It's not as thick as Chicago. Okay. Its crust is much like I would say a breadstick, and that it's airy. Hmm. All right. It's airy and thick, but it you know it's still light. Okay. Um, and then your toppings go um, cheese, pepperoni, sauce, sauces on top again. Okay. In a true pepper in a true Detroit style uh, pizza, cheese is not on top. Okay. Whatever whatever toppings you end up with, cheese is not the top, and uh, it's best enjoyed with um, you know. Sometimes people even use forks, which is kind of anathema in some regions of the world to eat their pizza, depending on which pieces mm -hmm. you're getting—a crust piece or an inside piece, okay. right? Okay. But it's so delicious, very it, filling. I, it sounds like it, and not at all healthy. Oh, well, you're talking to a guy who has only really ate Chicago style pizza. So I get the not healthy part. Interesting. Okay. Anytime I see it, because, you know, like fast food pizza places will debut a Chicago or a, excuse me, a Detroit, Detroit style, style pizza. It seems like the thing that they get wrong based off of what you're telling me is that the cheese is still on top and the crust doesn't quite sound right either. The, so a, a perfect Detroit style crust is airy. And maybe even at times, um, yeah, no, I'm not going to say that. I'm going to take that back. It's airy in the middle and okay. almost caramelized crispy on the Ooh, exterior. Okay. So when you bite into an authentic Detroit style pizza, there is a crunch, almost like a chip crunch okay. on the bottom, followed by a delightful plow through of a 
uh, just an airy bread. And you've got your sauce on top, no cheese on top in an authentic okay. pizza. And it's fantastic. Buddy's Pizza, if you're ever in the area in, in Detroit metro area, okay. Buddy's Pizza is a re- really great accessible uh, pizza chain you can get. Um, they, they've got locations all over the metro Detroit. Okay. And fast food style, you know, Jets Pizza is not too far Jets. away. So okay. if you ever see a Jets Pizza, that's probably as good as you're going to get outside the immediate metro area. All right. Well, I'll keep that in mind. Not usually up in the Detroit area, but we do have family in the Battle Creek area. So maybe I'll keep that in mind next time we're up there. Thanks again. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in. And as always, keep on studying. take two because i actually forgot to turn the microphone on this will probably be something i slide in at the end of the show (laughs) well in that case let me just say um, go ohio state buckeyes Mm.